Welcome to Health System CIO's podcast interview with Reed Steffen, CIO at St. Luke's Health System. In part one, Steffen talks about how his team has been able to create a compelling consumer experience using digital tools, how they benefited from having implemented Microsoft 365 prior to the pandemic, what really keeps him up at night as a CIO, and the give and take it requires to achieve a healthy work-life prioritization. So I definitely wanted to get into um, how it's affected your strategy and your team. But uh, first, I wanted to start by getting some basic information about the organization. You know, you're located in in Idaho, but what do you have in terms of um, hospitals and ambulatory, things like that? Yeah, so we're a St. Luke's health system. We're a a not-for-profit based out of Boise, Idaho. Uh, We serve prominently the southwest Idaho area a little bit of Eastern Oregon. Uh, We've got eight hospitals. We've got four larger hospitals. We've got four critical access hospitals. We have a children's hospital. We have 200 plus clinics that serve the patients uh, in that area. We were founded in in 1902 and, you know, we're the state's largest private employer and a pretty visible brand and physical presence in the, the Southwest Idaho area. Okay. And of those hospitals, are they located in both cities and rural areas? Yeah, it's it's a mix. So we've got urban, you know, we've got Boise, Meridian, Nampa, Twin Falls. You know, it's a smaller city, but it's larger. And then we've got our critical access hospitals in smaller areas, uh, McCall, Wood River, Elmore, Jerome, that serve more of the rural population. And then clinics, certainly a mix of I would say the majority of our clinics are in urban areas, but then we certainly have some in, in rural areas that's, that serve those communities. Okay. So when we look at how COVID impacted the organization, which obviously there, there's different facets of that, but let's start by really uh, what the initial priorities were as far as when things started to become serious. Yeah, and I think we're not unlike many other systems. Um, and as I've talked to peers, it just kind of reinforces there's a lot of commonalities on what we went through, you know, last March. So we quickly pivoted to addressing a need to have people work from home. So we scaled up just the opportunity and the technology needs to, to support that. We also quickly pivoted and accelerated our telehealth strategy, uh, in particular for clinic visits. We had not, uh, to that point, other than some pilots, we had not performed any live kind of patient video visits from an external home to inside a St. Luke's clinic or to a St. Luke's provider. And so we went from doing zero to within a a couple of months, you know, closing in on over 100,000 visits. So just really quickly scaled that. And what was great is... And again, not unique to us. I think we saw this across the board. It gave us like a test of change to kind of validate a lot of pontification and discussion that that we've had and has been had across the industry in the months and years leading up to COVID, which is, you know, how effective will this be? Will patients want to do it? Can we replicate the in-clinic experience? You know, what does the billing look like? And I think we proved without question that there is a need beyond COVID for this kind of patient experience. You know, we've had overwhelming positive response from patients in particular, just the convenience factor that it provides. And in particular with the COVID, 
the sense of safety, the ability to not have to leave my, my house, like my living room is now my waiting room and my exam room. That's just a mm-hmm. really compelling consumer experience. Yeah. And so, as you've alluded to, a lot of organizations were in the same boat, but we haven't really heard from as many who, who were starting pretty much from zero. So what was the first priority to, to get this going? So we had to obviously align with, with the providers and kind of understand like the scheduling aspect of it, the visit types they would support, working with revenue cycle to make sure the billing pieces and all of that were in place. We were fortunate in that we we had some headwind or some some tailwind rather, because we've been having discussions about standing up kind of a pilot to test out what a video visit would look like in a clinic for a patient at their home. And so fortunately, we had some technology pieces in place and, and just about ready to go built in a way that let us kind of scale really quickly. We had to get some more licensing for our, our video software that we used. Epic is our EHR, so MyChart was the, was the tool that we used to facilitate the actual video visit, both the sign up for the visit and then the experience itself. So it was really a, a very energizing opportunity, I think, for the organization because we have, and again, not unique and not unique to healthcare. I came from HP and it was the same thing there. There's always discussion about, and we've got so many initiatives that are launched. Um, we need to land some of these planes and we need to, to say no or not now to some of these things that come in. Well, COVID really gave us, you know, I think for one of the few times in my career, you saw that approach being applied widely across the system. And so unless it was directly uh, related to COVID response, a lot of our initiatives were, were put on hold or stopped. And so we were able to demonstrate that when we really are focused and when we limit the amount of things we're trying to do, we can accomplish a lot in a short amount of time and be incredibly effective at it. So it was a, overall, I think it was just a great experience for the organization and for the community and just a lot of feelings of accomplishment and pride and satisfaction connected with the work. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. But I guess the flip side of that is when you are focused on one or two things and you're able to roll those out so quickly, does it kind of raise the bar to uh, levels that, you know, can't really be sustained? Yeah, you know, that's a great point. And, and obviously this is not a mission accomplished moment, but clearly like things are moving in the right direction. So as I start to mentally envision like a future state, then how do we find that balance, right? Because uh, the reality is we can't just focus on one or two things. There's going to, have to be more than that. But how do we find that sweet spot so that we aren't taking on too much that actually, like if everything's important, nothing is an important kind of environment, but also like we can't swing too far the other way and um, focus on just a couple of things. And then to your point, how then do we guard against that or how do we kind of set the expectation so that people realize, you know, the COVID experience was really unique. And um, unless there's some emergent driver like that, we're likely not going to see that kind of, of efficiency and execution widely across our portfolio of initiatives. And, and that's okay, as long as there's the right measures and the metrics and uh, we understand expectations going into it. I, th- I think we can manage that conversation, but it's, it's a conversation that we have to have. So there's not a sense of failure that's just not true. Yeah. And then as things kind of changed, you know, whether it was telehealth visits spiking up or spiking down, 
your role in the team and just trying to, to kind of keep people on task. How did that go, I guess, as this thing went on and really none of us knew what to expect? Yeah, you know, I think as I answer that, I'll just kind of share a perspective I have as a CIO. I'll get asked on occasion, you know, what are the things that keep you up at night? And I may have an answer that's that's atypical or different than what you might hear from others. I don't uh, lose sleep worrying about a cyber attack. I used to be a CISO. And when I was a CISO, I absolutely, you know, that kept me up at night. I don't lose yeah. sleep worrying about, you know, is Epic still up? Uh, is our core infrastructure operating, you know, efficiently and smoothly? Because I've got incredible team members and colleagues who are experts in that space. And I know that that's kind of on their mind. And those are the things keeping them up at night. What keeps me up at night is I worry about the culture and just the well-being of the team. And so we, today, I would say probably 85% of our IT department are still working remotely, essentially full-time at this point. And it's worked really well because before that, you know, the majority of, of time people were in the office interacting with colleagues and building relationships and connection points that then served them well when we pivoted to an almost exclusively remote kind of work experience. But, you know, as you continue to deduct from, from those credits of goodwill and trust that you've built up over time in that bank account, you know, it can start to kind of fray at the edges. So I've really kind yeah. of been watching that and worried about as the team continues to execute and perform and deliver on shifting kind of priorities. A year ago, it was the focus was virtual visits and how do we scale to support that and make it operational. Now that's kind of steady state. And the last three or four months, there's been incredible effort around building workflow for, for vaccines, you know, standing up vaccine clinics yeah. and doing all the EHR build behind the scenes to support that. And it's been incredibly rewarding, but also just a huge heavy lift and just like heroic efforts to get stuff up and functioning and ready with kind of really dynamic influences like the types of vaccines that we're going to get when we get them and not knowing what we might get week to week and public kind of interest and demand for the vaccine. It's just been a really interesting use case for how you manage all of that and then provide the technology to support it. So I, I worry then about these team members, like, are they, are they taking care of themselves? Are they still able to make connections and relationships with their existing team members as new people have joined the team in the last year? How do we onboard them in a way that is meaningful and helps them feel that sense of community that we have? So long kind of response to your question, but I think, you know, from my standpoint is really kind of watching and making sure that I'm having the right touch points and really have a firm finger on the pulse to kind of measure and assess just the culture and well-being of the team. Uh, because if, if those things are, are in place, then a lot of the other issues in the work, it's just so much easier. So I do a weekly, yeah. what I call a small group meeting, where I just assemble 15 to 20 folks in the department just to kind of check in as a cross-functional group. And it's helpful, but it'll be good to get folks back in the office, you know, on some, some regular basis to start to add deposits back to that account and create and strengthen those relationships. Yeah, that's just really interesting. Um, I like how you said that about touch points. I can imagine it, it is slightly more difficult to really measure this, you know, when you, when you have interactions by video. So is, is that something that you had to kind of uh, get used to or adjust to? Yeah, absolutely. You know, we had just the fall before COVID, 
we just kind of went live with the Microsoft 365 stack. Uh, we rolled Teams out. We had a fairly successful launch and people were using it. But then COVID and the remote work in particular just accelerated that. And so we've had to learn as a system how to absorb this technology into our operations and, you know, how to establish expectations and behaviors. And, you know, so in meetings, it's okay to, to turn off your camera, you know, especially like now when you might go back to back to back meetings. And when you're physically there, you kind of got a reset time where you stand up and move to the next room or, you know, do whatever in a virtual yeah. environment. Like you can pivot and I'm sure you experience this as well from one meeting to the next with just like seconds kind of transition time between meetings. And so that's, that's a new competency that we're learning and developing as we go. I think there's been, you know, incredible uh, appreciation for the collaboration tools and the video component is nice to be able to see somebody and, and try and measure and read reaction or body language that you just can't pick up over the phone. But there's also what I would describe as just an ongoing maturation of how we then learn to live with and apply this technology in a way that that's beneficial, that doesn't become a distraction or a burden on our employees. And I, I think it's, it's a learning process that we're still going through is how I would describe it. Yeah, absolutely. That was good timing then that teams had, had been in place before. For us, we had actually just started using Zoom. I think it was in December. Yeah. And uh, we were really glad that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a nice intersection of some preparation and planning, but also some luck. Yeah. Like yeah. in no way were we anticipating, you know, a pandemic and the need for this to the scale that we've used it. But we were so glad that it was there. And I was on a call yesterday and our CEO made the comment. I can't imagine how we would have done this without the collaboration tools that we have in place today to support our virtual interactions. Yeah. And when you are checking in with people and you get the hint that, you know, maybe they are getting a little bit to the point of, of exhaustion or, or however you want to term it, is yeah. it something that's handled kind of on an individual basis or is there a specific like uh, process? You know, I think everyone is different. And so there might be like a certain pattern that's followed, but I really try and assess it based on, you know, what I feel and am hearing in the moment. So in one case, it may be just a follow-up call with that person, you know, after the meeting. Another case, I may reach out to, to the leader or to a colleague that I know has a really great relationship with that employee to ensure that, you know, they're kind of getting a reach out and, and we're making sure to take care of the, the whole person. One of my guiding principles is this idea, and this is what I emailed you about, and I think the experience with your daughter is a perfect example of that. I'm not a fan of the phrase work-life balance. I think it's a, a false notion. I think it yeah. creates this expectation that if you think of a teeter-totter, you know, that you can completely balance the time you spend at work, the time you spend family or community or whatever other your commitments are, and you can like stack those in a way that you're in complete harmony and you can be all things to all people that you have some accountability or some responsibility to. And in my experience, you might achieve that for a nanosecond and then it's gone. And so right. when you use that phrase, work-life balance, mentally then it sets this idea that I can achieve balance. Like I can spread myself and do all things for all people. Invariably, you know, you're going to fall short of that. And then if the message from the workplace is we support work-life balance, and then you're continually feeling like you're failing at it, 
you then either start to really have self-doubt and question your own abilities and or you get really resentful towards your organization for, hey, you said you support this, but I'm not feeling this in my life. So I like the phrase work-life prioritization. And I think that uh, for me, what that looks like is, you know, I wear different hats. You know, I'm the CIO at St. Luke's, and this is not in order of, of priority, clearly. I'm a husband, I'm a father, I've got uh, church commitments. I, I mentioned I'm on the school board. And so these different hats at different times, there's a, a timing to the priority of, of where I need to spend my time. And so, for example, I may come home one day from work and my son is like, hey, dad, you know, I'd love to go out back and throw the football around. That night, I may have a commitment at work or at a school board meeting that I can't delegate, that only I can attend to. And so I can explain that to my son and say, you know, I would love to. I have this other obligation that I have to do tonight at this time, but, you know, maybe later in the week. Or on the flip side, I may come home and he asks me that, and maybe I've got something scheduled that night, but it's um, discretionary. And I can be like, yep, you know what? Let me adjust something on my calendar and would love to spend that time with you. And I think that that's a viable kind of outcome is people can can have some control over their work-life prioritization. And it's a great lesson, I think, for our children to understand that sometimes there are those moments in life when you have a responsibility that demands and needs your attention right then and there. Doesn't mean that that's more important than your family, but there's an ebb and flow to kind of what life throws at us. And our kids face that in their lives as well. And so I think it's great to, to teach that as a guiding principle. And so that's the message we try and convey to our staff is we want to support your work-life prioritization. Like you understand the job that you've been hired to do. You understand the, the outcomes and the output that you're contributing to. And we trust you as a professional to, as you get that done to make those appropriate work-life prioritization decisions. And so that may be, hey, my daughter has a play at school in the afternoon. And so I'm going to do my work and I'm going to leave it too to go be there for her at that play. Or it may look like, you know, we've got an epic upgrade and it's really critical for some COVID workflow items that we're going to do. I have to work Friday night, so I'm going to have to postpone a date night, whatever it might be. I just think giving employees that clarity of how we approach it and then letting them understand the control they have and the autonomy to make those prioritization decisions, I think that's the key to success. And not that you get it right every time, but to me, that's a more workable approach than an idea of balance where you can do all things for all people at all times. Thank you for listening to this podcast from healthsystemcio.com. To hear other podcasts, visit our website or subscribe to our account in iTunes at healthsystemcio.com backslash podcast.